Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drack V, and let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First, Dave, the Alcadron Vader. How was your week? Are you surviving the big, uh, the big snowmageddon of 2023? Is that going to hit you? My week is pretty good. Uh, I think it's going to hit. I don't think it's going to be that bad. We, we, I mean, yeah. for, for a guy who grew up in northern michigan like the the way people treat snow out here in boston is uh i think i think people tend to overreact to it a little bit yeah yeah we we got like five or six inches overnight but it was really i don't know how to explain it, it was like really wet snow it was just like heavy rain like oh thick yeah. rain you know what i mean like it piled up but it didn't it just melted instantly so that's not bad like yeah it wasn't too bad at the, all the the trouble is when it piles up and then after it's piled up, it gets wet. Cause when you try to shovel that stuff, you just, yeah. your back explodes mm-hmm. and then you die. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> Game yeah, over. You're just dead. So yeah. I have died to that many times. It's not fun. All right. Next up, we got our resident PDH PhD, Liam. How are you doing this week? I am doing fantastic. Awesome. That's it. Just fantastic. Do you like snow? Are you a big snow fan? <laughs> I can't stand the snow. Um, uh, same here. I, yeah, I, I can't stand the snow, but it, it's it's not been a problem. You know, I, I live in Maryland where the weather patterns are like our flag. Uh, it will be sunny at the morning and then it'll be snowing later in the day and then it'll be, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a rainstorm, thunderstorm. I, you know, I'm just used to the weather changing on a dime, which it did today. You know, it, it snowed for a solid three and a half hours. And then it rained for a solid three and a half hours. And then the sun shone for two hours. And then and by, <laughs> this, this was literally also while I'm at work. Like I watch it like snow and sit on the ground. And then I watch it rain and wipe away all the snow. And then I watch the sun start to peek out and dry the ground. I literally like I left the building and it was just like windy and dry. And it was like, okay, cool. You wouldn't have even known it snowed today if you if you hadn't looked. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's, oh, that's kind of annoying. <sighs> I don't care. I don't like the snow, so it's it's whatever. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a super fan either. So I like looking at it. You know, a nice pretty snowfall is something to behold every now and then. But overall, yeah, sure. I just find it like a like an inconvenience. All right. Well, before we move on to the main topic, I think we had to do some housekeeping as usual. So if you like the show and you like what you're doing, you like what you're listening to, uh, take a minute to go check out the show over on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/ThePDHPod. Starting at about a buck a month, you get access to the pre-show, which comes out about every week. Usually it's just a short recording conversation between the three of us, sometimes two of us, before we record the uh, the actual show for that week. So uh, check that out. You also get early access to the episodes, usually about 12 to 15 hours before the episode goes live, if, you, if, if that's your sort of thing. And then you also get access to the PDH Pod Discord. You can chat with us about your decks, chat with the other members of the pod family, uh, get all kinds of advice, previews, that sort of thing. So it's really good stuff. And I think even Dave told me he was going to be a patron. I'm like, dude, you're a co-host. You don't you don't have to do that. But he just loves the show so much. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna sign up too. Didn't you tell me that, Dave? It's true. I'm going to. I want yeah. I want access to this pre-show. I've heard <laughs> that two of my favorite people talk about fun things in this pre-show, <laughs> and I want to listen to it. It's worth it. I'm telling you, it's, it's worth important it. to me. I feel like I feel like these conversations are really high quality. They are. They absolutely are. They go all over the place, too. You never know what you're going to get. 
I need it. I need that in my life. Like, what if, what if <laughs> someone was talking about a Soundwave deck? Soundwave is like my favorite Transformer. Yeah, the I only would, way to get that is through a pre-show recording. I would never know about that if I weren't a patron. Mm-hmm. I'd be lost to time. <laughs> Uh, lastly, look us up over on the YouTubes, if you will. We're just the PDH pod over there as well. Check out some videos, some past videos, trying to catch up on getting all the pod, the podcast put on over there. And then we're going to work on some video content coming up pretty soon here in the near future. That's pretty much housekeeping outside of that. Liam, what do you got this week for magic? This week in magic was actually pretty quiet. Uh, we just had some all will be one previews, which, you know, thank goodness there wasn't like overlapping preview seasons of all will be one and, you know, March of the Machines aftermath. Yeah, uh, right. I, I think those the two sets that come after there might be another one. Hopefully, the you know, glad there wasn't any real super overlap. Glad that, you know, it's been pretty chill. We had like a two week break, you know, mm-hmm. af- like like we had Christmas and then we had like a two week break before spoilers started up again. Uh, so that was really nice. Uh, yeah, you can always you can always tell on Twitter when there is major discourse within a given format that Watsy's been yeah. pretty quiet. So. Oh yeah, I I really enjoyed these weeks without any spoilers. It is nice. Like I absolutely love new magic cards, but it has been nice. I love new magic cards in small doses. Sure. Do you, yep. do you know what really makes me happy about this all be one set hmm. is not is is. The level of uh, parasiticism in the set, because it is wildly parasitic. Because on the one hand, you know, I'm I'm looking at the set I'm like oh, it's a bunch of Phyrexians. I really do not like the artwork. You know, I, I I'd have to be upset if if I wanted to play a card and I you like I had I had to literally alter it or get someone else to alter it because I just couldn't stand the artwork. But <laughs> with the set being so parasitic, it's not really been a huge worry. Because <laughs> yeah. like. Like there are some cards that have come out that are like strict upgrades to things I'm already running, and the art looks fine, so I'll, I'll I'll probably run them without question. But there are other things that's like, yeah, I I can pass because the the mechanic is so so the toxic the toxic mechanic is so parasitic. It like, really you know, is. Mm-hmm. In in that in and of itself is a hilarious pun. It makes it so that like if the card says toxic, I just don't care what it says after that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been great. Yeah, it has been kind of a nice break. I like seeing the new cards, new art. I think like Thrumming Bird got a new reprint, that sort of thing. So that's been yeah. fun. But yeah, for the most part, I'm with you. I'm with you there. God, the Thrumming Bird is so bad. <laughs> it's fun. I don't know that I would ever play it as a commander. I'm sure there's a oh, deck out there, but uh, it, I like it, it in was, the 99 sometimes. Yeah, it's, it was a common in one of the the master sets back a long time ago. Uh, mm-hmm. That card is so awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even funny. All right, well, you can listen to more of the not funny cards uh, next week when we do our set review. That's true. So let's move on to the main topic this week. Uh, We're actually going to go kind of dig down deep into the nitty gritty of a topic that and a philosophy that I personally struggle with a lot. Like (laughs) nearly every deck I build, I struggle with this topic. And that is how to build a coherent, how to build and understand a coherent and functional uh, mana base, whether that's lands, mana rocks, combination of the two, that sort of thing, dorks, mana dorks, all that sort of stuff. So um, I think we're going to hop right into it kind of with an overarching sort of a general idea of how to build a mana base, you know, and how to evaluate what your deck needs as far as mana goes. That is one thing that I certainly struggle with. I am just in the, and it's probably a habit I've had my whole magic career, is I just 
I count my pips, you know, my different colored pips, and I'm like, okay, divide that number by two, and that's what I need for mana, and woohoo, let's go. And then I, like, lose five games in a row to, like, <laughs> mana problems, and I don't understand why. Like, <laughs> And then you look at the list, and you have 31 lands. Right. Because <laughs> the deck started with 37, so I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know what happened. They just kept <laughs> finding their way out, I guess. I don't know. So um, I think this is a fairly important topic. I know we don't have to get in, like into the hyper geometric calculations and in the math behind it and all that. But I think um, talking about how to evaluate the types of lands you want in there, what your deck actually needs is, is something that should be discussed. What do you think, Dave? I think that this is a fantastic topic. I, I didn't know until just now that they, that we weren't doing hyper geometric calculations. So at this point, I'm, <laughs> well, I'm not sure I what I'm like here that's, for. Like that's probably second nature to you. So I'm cool if you do it, but it okay. takes me forever. That that's okay. Yeah, I I also wasn't like I honestly kind of don't like the hypergeometric calculations. Like I I don't think that they're the the metric to use here. I I think that that's I think that it's super risky business to be okay. to be relying on on the the, the hypergeometrics too much. Um, okay, that, but that's good to hear from someone that's actually like a math you know a, a mathematic person, a, a professional math magician, if you will. Yeah. I've had I've had a lot of conversations with people and they're like, you know, I I need I need to change the numbers so that I have, you know, at least two lands in my hand 60% of the time. And I'm like, "What? Mm-hmm. What are you like what is what, what are these numbers you're throwing at me? Why do you, why two lands? Like are you are you crazy? Like <laughs> three lands, you keep having to have three lands. Like what are you, this is not a three-turn <laughs> format, man. <laughs> What do you want two lands for? Two lands is nothing. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, um, yeah some people get real hardcore on that. Yeah. And before we get uh, too far into this, I, I do want to clarify for those listening that this episode is specifically about the land base. Uh, we will be yeah. having another episode in the future where we do like another guide to about mana acceleration. That's where we'll talk about like ramp spells and mana rocks. But but. Like every card we talk about today, will ninety nine percent of chance be a land. Yeah, perfect. Thank you for that. Just setting expectations low. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So, Dave or Liam and Liam, when you are not looking at a list online, when you're just sort of building a deck from scratch, how do you know? How do you decide what your deck needs and when? As far as like ratio, like if you've got even monocolor decks, I guess, to an extent. But if you get a two-color commander, it's, I don't know, uh, white and black because, yeah. you know, it's off. You know, where are you at on, okay, you know, I need this commander to come down as early as possible or on a specific turn. So my mana bit, you know, I, I need to have access to white and access to black. Like, how are you constructing that mana base on, on sort of like a general scale? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, start and then Dave can pick up my response. Uh, so <laughs> let me I get my calculator start, ready. Right. Yeah, you go for it. I always start with uh, at least three lands because this is not a three turn format. Yep. You know the the number that I tend to start with tends to sit around thirty seven or thirty eight. Just in okay. general, every deck split down the middle of of number of basics. Right. What I then do is I evaluate the type of deck I'm going to be building. Uh, if it is a landfall deck or a lands matter deck, I go all the way up to 44, and that number does not go lower ever. 
Okay. If mm -hmm. I'm building a more aggro deck, I'll cut some lands out down to like 34, 35, because I'm expecting a much lower curve. If my curve ends up not being as low, I'll add some back in and make cuts elsewhere. But I, I start with a solid 37, because that's just what it is. And then I evaluate the strategy. After that, I then look at the types of non-basics I'm going to want. Uh, and we'll get more into that later, but that's sure. specifically looking at like the fetches that you're going to try and run, the packages that you're going to try and run based on your strategy, you know, uh, just the what you want your lands to do utility-wise, if you even want utility on your lands, the types right. that the lands have, whether they're card types or subtypes. You know, I, I tend to look at all that from a, a, a global perspective, and that kind of gets filled in as I'm doing the deck. I'll be like, oh, these this grouping of cards works really well, but they work much better if I put, you know, the two artifact lands in the deck or the four artifact lands in the deck, depending if you mm -hmm. wanted two colors, right? Sure. So it really is a process that, for me personally, evolves as the deck evolves. It doesn't, it doesn't stay, like I don't create the mana base first and then build the rest of the deck around it. I, I, I kind sure. of, I jump between lands and non-lands all the time as I'm going through it. That's fair. I understand that completely. What do you think, Dave? I actually really like that response. I feel like, uh, in in my experience, one of one of the common sort of things that I end up like talking to people about, like when when someone shows up in the PDH home base Discord server and they say, "Look at my like, you know, I'm I'm brand new to PDH. I'm coming from EDH. Check out this deck I just designed and tell me what you think." And I mm -hmm. open up the deck and they have thirty lands, and I'm like, <laughs> "Well, the, well, there's your problem right there." So yeah, like number I think, one, I think that uh, trends generally speaking have been moving towards fewer lands and more rocks and i feel like that's probably at least a little bit of a mistake i like my decks to have like typically speaking 35 is the lowest i go for lands like i have a couple really really um extreme examples of decks that go below 35 but i think that 35 is a very reasonable minimum i have to have really really good reasons to go below 35 Right. So I'm I was delighted to hear Liam say that he starts with, you know, 37 38. I feel like that's a really good starting point. I usually end up in the 36-ish range. So starting at 37 and then cutting if I have a lot of rocks is a is a good place to land. Yep. I in terms of which lands do I want to add? Lands are usually like the last thing I add to a deck. I'll 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 kind of go through and I'll figure out all the different things that the deck is trying to do. Like what? Are, what? What themes? What kind of card types? What kind of uh, what categories? I'll I'll add a bunch of cards. I'll put them into categories on Moxfield, and then when I think that that's in a pretty good place, I'll I'll sort of step back and I say, okay, what what lands does this deck want? And then I go mm -hmm. through. Like there's I I try to do at least twenty ish basics in a deck. So mm -hmm. I uh, later in this episode I'm going to talk about uh, packages. I have, I have a couple packages that I, I will include uh, for various reasons. Um, yep. But I try, to, I try to limit the number of packages I include pretty heavily because I want to be running at least 20-ish basics. I like it when my lands come into play untapped. I like being able to use them right away. We have, we have a couple utility lands that are great, and some of them will really empower a deck to do what the deck is already wanting to do anyway. And mm -hmm. some of them just, I think, belong in more or less every deck because the utility is very powerful it's popper they're all commons like we don't have a ton of those i think 20 basics is a pretty reasonable baseline 
Yeah, and I think you hit on something too that's pretty important is I feel like the mana bases, because we are restricted by common rarity, obviously, and so is our lands, I feel like we are have this format, the decks in the format, they're heavily punished by poor mana bases. It's very hard to make up the deficit of having a poor mana base or even poorly built mana base. You may have 37 lands and it's perfect. You could curve out ideally all day long, no problem, what have you. But, you know, like you said, trying to have a minimum amount of basics is, I feel, a good idea. You know, it's, re- and I've done it before, it feels really bad to throw down a tap land on turn one only to have to throw down a bounce land on turn two and then hit another tap land on turn three. Yeah, you've that's done, rough. You've done nothing, you know, absolutely nothing yeah. for the whole game. <laughs> you've basically missed three turns of the game to get two to three mana. Like, Yeah, on, on turn two, you can play a mana dork. Like you can you can tap your you can tap your bounce land on turn three yeah. to play your Findhorn elves. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no that that feels really bad. Um, yeah, that's one of the reasons that I I like you know the the, the lands that come in untapped so much. And like mm. um, if we're gonna talk, so I guess well real really quick. My first big follow up yep. to that uh, when when Brad is when Brad is sitting here with us warning us about the dangers of. Uh, having a mana base that doesn't work for you, like listeners, I implore you, take this man's word. This is the voice of experience. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. In 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 the theme of having, you know, having to play a land and then bouncing it to your hand and having to play it again, like this is this is a weird tangent. This is one of the reasons I love Crystal Grotto so much. Mm-hmm. It comes in untapped and has an ETB trigger. It's so good with the tap lands. So like yeah, if you're if your opening hand is Forgotten Cave and you know Boros Garrison, like you're you're gonna have a bad time. If your opening <laughs> hand is Crystal Grotto and Boros Garrison, like that's not bad. That's not yeah, it's serviceable. Yeah, it's, I, mm-hmm. I would I would argue that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, because you get that Scry two twice and hopefully Scry to another land real quick. Yeah, yeah. dig down a little bit. So yeah, I know that they can be big and flashy and it's aesthetically pleasing to run a bunch of dual lands and dual snow lands and bounce lands and tap lands and all that stuff but they will bite you and they will bite you good yeah so yeah so that's that's the that's the view from 10,000 feet for me yeah I think so too I think those are some good views and we all sort of brought it up too I think the next sort of thing we should hone in on or focus in on are the fetches uh, that we have at common yes because we do have a handful fetches. of them they're not obviously not the fetches with the capital f uh the super expensive ones but we do have a, a collection of them at common dave do you want to do you want to dive into those a little bit yeah some of the same people who i think put far too much faith in hypergeometric calculators are <laughs> some of this also the same people who are who will argue with me about the effectiveness of deck thinning and uh-huh. uh, I, I am both anti putting too much faith in hypergeometric calculators, and I am pro thinning your deck with fetches. Uh, the goal for your mana base, the, like the the ideal performance, is you want to be consistently hitting land drops number three, four, five, and yeah. you want it to be something where, like, as you get into the late game, you're not dead drawing lands off the top 
Like you don't want to you don't want to be hell bent going into your turn and dr- top decking land number fifteen. Like that's not going to be very helpful. Yeah, yeah that's the worst. So uh, this is one of the reasons that I love fetches so much is because they can. When you when you draw them early, when you play them, they will fix your mana. They can be your land drop number one or two or whatever if you don't have a better play, or if you you know if you're going into turn four thinking I'm going to spend this turn casting a three mana spell, then you can just drop this tapped fetch, uh, like e- evolving wilds, terramorphic, any of the Capenna fetches, um, mm-hmm. and they will like they they I mean they, they slow you down a tiny bit because because the tapped thing, but they're also going to thin out your deck. And that kind of makes you, like, one by one, they will make you very marginally less likely to top deck land number 15 late game when you need an answer. But yep. if you're doing it a bunch, if you're doing it a, over and over again, that adds up. And I it think that it up. makes mm-hmm. impact. And I think those marginal advantages you get are absolutely worth it. Like there's, like you said, there's nothing worse than on turn 15 or turn 8 or turn 12 or whatever going, okay, my turn. Untap, upkeep, draw. Oh, I guess I pass. Oh, here's my land for turn, and now it's your turn. Like, there's just really nothing worse than that. So if it's a... I, I, I couldn't put a number on it because I don't know, but if it's a marginal advantage, I'll take six marginal advantages per game. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's unlikely that you're going to draw into all six of them in a single game. Unless yeah, sure. you're scare tillering. Oh, <laughs> Unless you're tillering. I don't think we could do a lands episode about PDH without mentioning Scare Tiller at least once. Yeah, there's no way. Now, I was talking with, I think it was before Dave hopped onto the pre-show. I was talking with Liam. I tend, and this is probably something that I'm going to have to consciously change because I don't, I, I, I do it subconsciously. I don't tend to run a lot of Scare Tillers because I don't run a lot of lands that end up in the graveyard if that makes sense. Like, I don't consciously run fetch lands. I don't consciously run a ton of cycling lands, that sort of thing. So I find myself not not putting in Scare Tiller or just cutting it because I just don't get a lot back for it, if, if that makes sense. Sure. Now, I think that's something yeah. I need to work on because, like we were talking about, the, the deck thinning a little bit, I think having a handful more fetches would, would help my mana base throughout the game itself. So that's something I need to work on for sure. I think part of that might also just be your background with 60 card where those it, it effects well could be. generally aren't great or are considered too slow. You know, Dave's background being more PDH-focused with, with being literally an RC member, he's he's kind of honed in on effects like this when they come out. Mm-hmm. And I think my my background with Commander, you know, I, I'm, I, I was more easily convinced on the Scatilla bandwagon because I'm familiar with the effect of lands decks and being able to... to recur fetches even bad ones repeatedly yeah i mean at one, at, at one point i had a, a get deck that was abusive and just <laughs> when i say like strip locking i mean like it you know, it pretty regularly used strip line uh strip mine locks to just make sure my opponents never had lands oh god <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know how that deck won it won with two twos with forest walk that's how it <laughs> So amazing. I, I was much more easily I it took a little convincing that Scatilla was good, but once I got there, it's it's ended up in most of my decks. The decks yeah. it's not in is because the Scatilla package is too large and I would rather have the Gates package. Mm-hmm. But even then I think that's just a background thing. And my my recommendation to everyone listening would be try out the Scatilla package in at least one deck that you run. Yeah, for sure. Because it is 
powerful. It is very powerful. And actually, I, I must have realized this a couple weeks ago because I forgot. And I was looking through TCG Player, looking at like what I've ordered recently that's still like in in transit in route, and there are ten scare tillers <laughs> coming Ooh. to me in the mail. So I must have realized that a while back and decided to fix it. So that should be rectified here shortly. Good, good. And I love Join it. Like I see the, the power side. of it. Absolutely love the card. I when I play against it and it's doing its thing, it's like wow, that's really powerful. And then like I'll glance at my graveyard, and there's just no lands in it. Like maybe I don't run enough fetches, maybe I don't run enough cycling lands, that sort of thing. So it's all a learning process, I guess. But since we did talk about some fetches, I think there's another type of land that also ends up in the graveyard. What's next, Liam? I don't know what's next. I've lost myself. Uh, cycling lands. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> cycling lands. Uh, thank you for changing the color, whoever did that. Uh, the cycling <laughs> lands are the other way to dodge the uh, those late game dead draws. Uh, so what do you mean by cycling lands? We mean those lands that came from Onslaught, that cycle for a single mana of their color. The lands that came from another old set, I think it was Urza's Block, that cycle for two generic. And then the mm-hmm. lands that came from Hour of Devastation, that cycle for one and a color, but they also have the desert type. Yep. These lands are very fantastic because yes you know people i've even run these in edh and people are like these are terrible they're just tapped basics i'm like haha but turn one i but wait you know yeah turn one i have nothing to do so they're fine right and turn five they replace themselves with a card and like yeah just exactly. one or two mana and i'm like and paying one mana in green for a card is great uh so you know these things are playable in edh they're very playable in pdh because they help smooth out the late game draws but it's also really good with the aforementioned Scaretiller, where you cycle them to draw, and then you get them back with Scaretiller. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. get if, if you want to draw again, or if you need that land yeah. on the battlefield for some reason. Yep. Yeah, you get both halves of the card, right? You get to cycle it and then get it in play. So yep. I think that in particular, the cycling lands are probably three of my favorite cycles. I'm being told that I should not forget Ash Barons. Some people see it as a fetch land because it's pulling a land out of the deck. I more personally see it as a cycling land because, you know, despite the fact that the mechanic is called basic land cycling, uh, (laughs) I feel that paying mana and discarding a card is cycling. Where fetch is like sacrificing. Yes, I think like the Capenna lands where they come into play, immediately get sacrificed to go get a basic. Those are fetches. Mm-hmm. But since Ashbones never comes into play before you cycle it, it's it's a cycling land. However you want to consider it, Ashbones is also a fantastic card that you should be playing in the decks that make room, especially for Scantola decks. Now, would you say that the uh, new Capenna fetch lands are the best fetch lands we have? The Capenna ones? Mm-hmm. Um, that's tough. Uh, see, I really like Evolving Wilds and Terramorphic for the ubiquity and the simplicity. Sure. Everyone mm-hmm. knows what they do. Uh, I also like uh, Wilds and Expanse in five-color decks more than I like anything else. Uh, the Capenna ones are really good in their respective two- and three-color combinations. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. sh- shoot, even the one-color combinations. Uh, I would run them over uh, Wilds or Expanse just because of the life gain. And because, honestly, like if if you're trying to do the, the tournament thing of like, oh, I got to hold up the Evolving Wilds to the last possible second so they don't know what color I have, I'm like, <laughs> it's coming in tapped anyway. We're playing PDH. Just get yeah. it yourself. <laughs> yeah. um, it's not going to be a big mystery. Re- here. <laughs> real real quick follow-up to that. Uh-huh. 
Every single time I play an E-Wilds or a Terramorphic, I instantly crack it for the land. Because, yeah, exactly. because yeah. I don't want to do that. Except, except, I have a Ruined Crab <laughs> pseudo-competitive deck. And this, I mean, it's it's just a, it's a big, thick counterspell package with a, you know, Ghostly Flicker combo in it so that I can, uh, honestly, I don't even Ghostly Flicker Paragon Drake. I just high tide a couple times, and then I ghostly flicker Archaeomancer and an island, so mm-hmm. that so that it's triggering the crab. <laughs> like that's how I win. Oh, it's, it's, that is disgusting. It's dumb, but um, my favorite part about this is when I take it into competitive games and, and I'm playing against you know Tatiovas or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Terramorphic Expanse with Rune Crab in play shuts down about half of Tatiova's combos. Yep. Because oh, Tatiova's okay. combos put the card on top of the deck and then draw it. Yeah, right. And if you can interrupt that with Crack Terramorphic, Trigger Rune Crab, Mill 3 cards. Mill 3, bye-bye. Yep, bye-bye combo. It's the funniest thing. So, that's the only time I ever keep up a Terramorphic. Definitely in corner case decks and or competitive scenarios, you know, wilds and expanse are good. Uh, Generally speaking, for my casual decks, I'm just going to run a Capenna Land over them, uh, especially because a lot of my casual decks tend to be two or three colors. Uh, yeah, I mm-hmm. I really like panoramas, probably partially just because the the nostalgia of them, but also just in general, I find them to be really solid. Uh, again, two or three color decks. Panoramas tend to get run in the decks that like I want as many fetch lands as possible, but you know they're not bad cards either. I probably wouldn't say the panoramas are the best cycle, but if I had to uh, pick a cycle of of the the fetches or the cyclings that I liked more, I would have to say I like the cycling lands more. Okay. Just the, the category yeah. of cyclers over the category of fetch lands. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. It, that's also probably because there's less shuffling involved, but that's beyond <laughs> the point. <laughs> right. Yeah, shuffling can get a little obnoxious, but yeah. But overall, yeah, I think the cycling lands are good. Just like every other land, you know, all these lands are created for their limited environment. So we have a, a plethora of these types of lands. So it's easy to go overboard on them because um, we've got probably what four or five of each color. Weirdly, we don't we don't actually have the colorless cycling land. We have Ash Barons, which land cycles, but we do not have blasted landscape. Okay. Right. Yeah. Technicalities yeah, over here. <laughs> fight me about it. Fight me. I will fight you about it. Okay. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put blasted landscape in a deck and call it Please. a PDH deck. Please do it. I've been like the reason I bring this up is because I've been angry for like eight, ten years that blasted landscape is an uncommon. Like just yeah, just the, downshift it, you cowards. Yeah, like, I don't it understand. Was, it was in Ozla Saga, and then they reprinted it in Commander 2015. So that was what ninety eight to twenty. That was seventeen years. It took them to reprint yeah. it. Uh, and then it got reprinted three years later in that Commander Anthology 2, also an uncommon. Then it got Mystery, but Mystery doesn't count. Yep. Actually, no, it was in Mystery, and everything in Mystery had the same rarity, which makes everything a common. So uh, it's common, right? I, that makes, I trust that you. Makes, I trust makes, you, Judge. <laughs> that makes everything in Mystery a common, right? I can play Mana Crypt. Ha. Yeah, technically we do not have the colorless cycle land, which uh, I will add this to the long list of things I'm going to die mad about. That list is um, growing. I am so angry all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Just all the time. <laughs> Just without ever stopping. <laughs> all right, I know this little next category of uh, lands we mentioned earlier. 
they can feel bad, but at the same time, they're also very, very powerful. These are the Bounce Lands, and I, hmm, this is also probably from my 60-card background. I love playing Bounce Lands. They rarely feel good in a game of PDH, but I can't stop myself from putting them in there. Like, I was looking at my uh, Orfeo deck earlier before we started recording, and I think I have one of each possibility that that deck can run. All three? Yeah, and I remember the last time, or two times ago when I played it, they did not feel good, but here I am. I haven't taken them out yet. Yeah, (laughs) you got to be a little bit careful with the bounce lands. Like, they they offer enormous advantages, but that comes at a pretty steep cost. It really does. Um, The tempo loss is huge. It's a massive tempo loss, but what they give you, in exchange for that tempo loss, what they give you is more mana per card. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, something that uh, people tend to overlook sometimes. This is this is a situation where, like, you know, if you can, if you if you have dedicated enough slots to these bounce lands, you can drop down a couple lands. Because, like, if, you know, if you have a land with, you know, two two regular lands and a bounce land, that's four mana drops, or that's four land drops, and you still have four cards in your hand. Like, if that's your opener. Like you're gonna lose some tempo off of the the turn you play the bounce land, but mm-hmm. you're gonna get your four land drops out of three cards, right. and still have the four other actual spells in your hand, and that has the potential to be enormous, especially in decks that are really top heavy, and like they want to be hitting, you know, the decks that want to consistently hit land drop number six, seven, like this one card is worth two of them by itself. Yeah. And that yeah. is cannot be underestimated. Yeah. That, yep. that that is an enormous value for sure. Now do you sculpt your mana base any differently if you know you're gonna play bounce lands, or are they just generic enough to where yeah, they sort of fit? Or is that something you have to take into consideration? Usually I'm only playing one bounce land. Okay. And like one bounce land is not enough of a like card advantage thing yeah. that I'm gonna cut a land for it. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put in one bounce land in exchange for two regular lands. Right. Uh, like once once I'm into the three color like situation and I can I can think about playing three of the bounce lands, then I might consider dropping down by one. Okay, that makes sense. Four color decks aren't really a thing. I I do I have one five color deck, and the way that I've built its mana base is that I run all ten of the bounce lands. Mm-hmm. And Walking Atlas and Llanowar Scout and Scaled Herbalist, like these, you know, the 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 cards that um, you know, the Tetiova players call the the man the land idiots, right? <laughs> the the guys that tap to put a land into play because, yeah. like, with ten bounce lands, like the the tempo hit that you 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 hit yourself with with all ten of them is catastrophic. But if you can mitigate that with these land droppers. To say like yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play my Orzhov Basilica for turn, bounce a swamp, and then I'm gonna tap the Walking Atlas to play the swamp. Like you can kind of negate that that feels bad mm-hmm. of the tempo loss, and also like I do this for my five color deck specifically. I need to be able to I need to be consistently hitting like 13 mana, 14 mana. Like is this is one of the thirstiest decks I've ever built, <laughs> and so having all 10. And just being able to ride that huge mana advantage that they give me over time is actually tremendous. Um, 
if I was building a five color like Sliver's deck, which does not need to hit 13, 14 mana, I wouldn't run any of them. Uh, this is this is a particular quirk of this one weird deck. Okay. Uh, this is not a thing that I advocate for in general. Mm-hmm. The deck is uh, the Rebel Alliance. Uh, I feel like I've, I sh- I shouldn't be vague blogging about it at this point. It's a, it's a deck <laughs> where I use I get a couple allies in play, and then I use Rebel Tutors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To tutor for changelings <laughs> to trigger the allies. Oh my god. And it's it's a beautiful machine when it works. And like if you can if you can get it online, like you know you you play your first Rebel Tutor, you immediately tutor for a second Rebel Tutor. And at this point, you have you have a way to just sink seven or eight mana every single turn cycle into just putting a couple changelings into play. And at that point, you want you want to be doing that. You want to be dedicating seven or eight mana every turn cycle into rebel tutoring, while also having mana up to cast spells and interact and like you know do a little disruption with right. the rest of your hand. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, this is straight up one of the thirstiest decks. <laughs> I've ever conceived of, and it needs those ten bounce lands and the mana idiots that'll that'll put the lands back into play after I bounce them in my hand. Like, that's that's its own whole thing. If your deck doesn't need to be consistently hitting thirteen mana, then you do not need this. You do not this need is pretty 10 intense, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there is a place for them. But again, well, I guess it's sort of hard to go over the top or overboard on bounce lands because they're very specific. But uh, just keep it yeah. in mind when you are trying to use them, when you want to use them, that, that sort of thing. They definitely have a place. For sure. All right. Does Liam have any thoughts for us on yeah, bounce lands? I feel like I kind lands. of like... Um... Oh, that Rebel talk was so good. <laughs> sort of like took I just, over for a minute. I just wouldn't shut mad. up about it. <laughs> 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 Uh, Bounceland's. I have mixed. I have. I have a mixed history on these. Um, there was a time in my EDH uh, career where I thought these things were awful, um, and then there was a time when I thought they were really good, and then there was a time I thought they were unplayable. Uh, and now I'm back at the time where I think they're really good. Uh, they're really good in decks where you have a lot of ETB utility on your lands. Uh, in particular, the ones I really want to note are life gain decks where they have like mm-hmm. four or five lands that gain life when yeah. they enter now the life gain itself is usually pretty negligible it's one or two but it's the fact that the deck wants life gain to trigger so having a bounce land to help trigger that is really good i think that the bounce lands need to be used with utility in mind you should not For look sure. at them mm-hmm. you should not look at them as a ramp spell you should look at them as a a kind of like a copy land kind of like a vesuva you look at them as a copy of a land you already have in the deck or that's in play, you know. So I tend to treat them very sparingly, whether or not I sure. put them in a deck. But yeah, I think the, th- the only thing that really irritates me about bounce lands these days is they get really cool treatments, but they don't have the common set symbol. That's <laughs> I have noticed that too. That's like the one thing that irritates me. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that, that's one thing. I'm I'm a big fan of bounce lands because they can. Unlike a lot of lands we have, or most lands we have, bounce lands can actually play into the synergy of your deck quite a bit. Like, like you were talking about with the ETBs and that, just that sort of thing. Yep. That's pretty cool. I think another um, another category of lands we definitely need to talk about. This is one that we used to 
struggle we used to beg for we used to plead and please please mm-hmm. watson give us give us tapped duels <laughs> and now we have a ton of them and yeah. i don't know what to do with them it's like stop <laughs> too many <laughs> yeah too many we're good just go back to the called high no, snow duel uh, so 2022 was was great in terms of balance mm-hmm. right in in we got uh the capenna lands and we got another cycle somewhere i think uh but 2021 was really where it popped it off. did like you got you got the Caldheim snowlands followed almost immediately by the strixhaven campus oh yeah those came followed, right afterwards followed followed immediately by the modern horizons to bridges <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. like uh let me do a sky falls out real quick of just the the land types that came out in 2022 okay. uh searching uh not 2022 sorry 2021 my bad uh, 2021, yeah. So we had the Kaldheim followed immediately by Strixhaven, followed immediately by the Bridges. Mm-hmm. And then 2022 gave us an equal number of cycles. It gave us uh, the... Uh, not an equal number. It gave us it gave us the Gainlands with brand new art, but it gave us the Capenalands and the typed duels from Domino United. Yeah. But you also can't discount the, the gates. I would say the gates from Baldur's Gate counts as a a huge cycle yeah they had had a huge Um, impact on the format and like i'm just excited for whatever the heck it is we get this year because on like on the one hand i'm like yeah uh, you know too many tap tools don't have to do with on the other hand the variety is quite nice that we finally have it to you know make real decisions and not just like yeah i need some dual lands we're gonna run the guild gate and the gain land and you know tap land like we actually have decisions to make now, and that's that's fantastic. Yeah, we have, you know, and again, they probably, well, hopefully, we're not thinking much about Popper when they made him. They're probably more thinking more about the limited environment, but it is oh, 100% it, is it was the limited very environment. enjoyable that we have lands that aren't dead in the late game, like the Scry lands, the yeah. tramways, you know, the the New oh, yeah. lands, that sort of thing. Well, so so specifically commenting on that, I know, I, I remember an interview that, Gavin Verhey did back at Kaldheim. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who he interviewed with, but he said that the snow duels were actually specifically made to both smooth out limited and it was a nice clean way to get a full cycle of snow duels in formats like EDH and 60 card Pauper. Oh, okay. Because at the time, snow was very popular in 60 card oh, Pauper, yeah, yeah, even, yeah. even even well after Astrolabe banning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scred, Scred is always curious. is it Scred? Is it Fairies? Is a, has been a deck forever. Yeah, I'm curious if a similar thought pattern was designed around the Dominator United cycle, because Snow has, for the most part, left the Popo scene. There's still some decks like you said, like Scred or uh, mm-hmm. Fairies, that kind of rely on it a little bit, but it's no longer every deck is running Snow, and in large part due to the Astrolabe banning. But it's also, you know, I'm I'm wondering if these type lands, if if they looked at like EDH. And you know, smoothing out the limited environment, and like, well, you know, we can make type lands. And I wonder if sixty card Papa had a had a play in that or not. I don't know. I thought about that too when they when they first got spoiled. It, 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 because it, there's there's no snow hate. There's in the no format, snow hate, so and the way they were delivered, something about the way they were spoiled felt very samezies as the Kaldheim snow duels. Yeah. Like it felt almost the same. So maybe maybe the thought process was like, look, if we can if we can make these things and give them the snow type, we can make them without the snow type. Yeah. And they just put them in Dominaria and called it a yep. day. Easy peasy. Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I find myself using the Dominaria ones more often than the snow ones. Just 
I don't, I don't, maybe I have more of them. I don't know, but I just don't play a lot of snow synergies. So completely fair. Mm. Yeah. I really cannot overstate how like desperate we were for these cards in 2015. We were, oh, you know, when, yeah. when we had, you know, Bloodfell Caves, Rakdos Guildgate, and Cinder Barons, <laughs> and we were, we were delighted by these three, like, you know, tapped duels mm-hmm. and one of one of them gained us a life like bloodfell caves was obviously the best one of these yeah like, obviously you know, right like yeah. so we for me the tipping point because like, you know we, we we got we got more and more the the point at which like something got spoiled and i was like i don't care anymore like i'm saturated like i don't to me this is like i could replace rakdos guildgate with it but i don't need to and if i didn't my like my deck wouldn't change like i'm yep. i'm i'm I've I've reached the point where I'm not going to replace basics with these, because I don't want I, I we get we got to the point where too many too many of my lands were tapped. Yeah. If I ran all of these, for me that point was the thriving land. Mm, um, God, yeah. I was I like totally thriving. About those. Thriving is now too much for me. And then they kept going, and we kept getting more and more and more, <laughs> which is which is great. Like I I love that we have options now. Um, so like if you if you want to run like the gates package, you have the, your OG guild gates, and you now have these uh, you know CLB gates mm-hmm. where they they each have a, a static color, and then you choose the other color. Like those will help you out with the gates. Uh, if you're doing artifact synergies or land auras, the indestructible artifact lands are outstanding. Yeah. Uh, if you have if you have things that care about land types, you have the geothermal bog, sulfurous mire, the you know the the Caldheim snow duel. And the um, the the Dom U duel, mm-hmm. and uh, the so yeah, like being able to choose which ones we want for our deck that it's going to help us out. Like this is this is a fantastic development that we have. Um, but now we it it also comes with choices. You have to you have to like think about it. Yeah, which is not just not a. A burden we had in 2015. <laughs> no, that is a so good I, point. So I did catch myself like when the Dom U when the Dom U duels got spoiled. I was like, oh, I can put these in all my decks, and like you know, I I do this process where um I I'll go through my Moxfield lists and I'll look at all the cards that just got released. Mm-hmm. Like you can do you can do a search for like set DMU uh, is new or like new rarity. Yeah. Like you can you can run that search right in Moxfield and just add the cards. So I was going through that and like every time I saw these you know new dual type things i was like yeah i'll put that in the sideboard i'll find a home for it eventually right and like mostly they all kind of got cut like i never actually mm-hmm. ended up adding them because like i there's there's a couple decks that do care about the land types like a bunch of my black decks have you know corrupt in them or defile yeah and like i want yep i want that swamp that also taps for red or like you know a handful of my green decks had these you know the far seekish cards or the, yeah. the nature's lore cards yeah, like... I, I I think unless you're running those cards that look for the types, the the type tools yeah, just exactly. don't really mean anything. They really don't. So, like, I got excited for this new cycle of, of the the tapped like actual dual type cards, and then I was like, no, these like I I bought like ten of each so I could have enough, and then I only ended up using like one or two of each. I was like, oh, well, oh well, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did the same thing at Caldheim. I bought uh, two complete cycles of the of the tap duels and. They for the most part made it into my decks, but they've slowly been cut over time, and I have about a cycle and a half yeah. sitting in a box because <laughs> they're just not in decks. And then when Dominator United came around, I was like, "Yeah, I'll collect as many as I can from pre-release." And you know, people were handing them to me or whatnot, and I ended up with a ton of them. But like, I haven't put a right. single one in the deck yet. Yeah, I think I, I have them in decks where so, I just needed 
a duel and that was like on my desk on my table in in my hand or whatever i didn't search for it for any reason i think maybe like you said um i was running farseek or something and it obviously helped out a lot more not like i didn't have 12 other deck 12 other lands in the decks that would that farseek would fetch but it was just nice to have another one so yeah yeah i love the options but we are a little saturated with it so so the the TLDR of all of this is think very carefully about the land choices that you're making. Like make sure that you're gonna be able to hit the land drops you need early game, while also running some kind of utility that's gonna help keep you from getting flooded in the late game. Uh, sometimes that utility looks like fetches. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that utility looks like cycling lands. Sometimes it looks like running so many bounce lands that you can drop your land count by one. Sure. Sometimes it's the yeah. the tapped duel that is tramway station. Yeah. That you can sacrifice for a card if you get flooded. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's that's the balance you have to strike. Making sure you're hitting the early land drops, making sure you're not getting flooded out late. Yeah. And that's the thing too is all of our good I mean it ties right into what you're saying. All of our good you late game utility cards come into play tapped early. So there definitely Except is that that balancing two, act. We got two new ones. Tokasia's dig site and Crystal Grotto. I know these are these uh these are the keep yourself from getting flooded in the late game powerhouses. They really they both and come in untapped. That's exactly yeah. why they're so good. Exactly. Yep. One hundred percent. I I didn't think about it until uh, until I played them like in real life in a game in a pod. I was like, okay, you know, they're cool. They have utility. I can surveil. I can scry. Whatever. But the fact that they do not have the words enters the battlefield tapped not on them it did not occur to me until i played them and i was like oh Mm -hmm. this is really good like i don't have to wait a turn to use it i can use the mana right now i can surveil right now i can scry like do all this crazy stuff it's crazy how how good a card can be when it enters the battlefield untapped weird exactly (laughs) this is this is why i run try to try to keep a baseline 20-ish basics yeah okay uh i do want to sort of mention here a couple other i mean the a couple other techniques for like not dead drawing the the, the late game lands. Um, these aren't lands. We're kind of moving a little bit away from the lands for this brief section. Mm-hmm. I just want to, on the topic of you know how to avoid that turn fifteen need an answer top deck an island thing. Some other ideas to incorporate into your mana building paradigm are uh, cards that have the word retrace on them are better than you think they are every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> like, being able to just transform that dead draw land into two soldiers is kind of berserk. Mm-hmm. And you can just do that over and over again. Sends yep. enlistment is nuts. Jumpstart, similar-ish plan. It'll let you pitch those dead draws into one extra casting of a spell. Uh, you only get to do that once. It's kind of like flashback. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's usually a little cheaper than flashback, but uh, you have to pitch a land for it, so... Uh, if you find yourself dead drawing lands a lot, like add some jumpstart in there. Um, generic looting. Uh, also, I mean, this this I see get played a lot. Like everyone knows that Thrill of Possibility is a great card. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think I need to to go deep in here. Network terminal should be in same in thing. Enormous. Yep. Uh, and then the the last thing I want to talk about is. Uh, if you don't have any of these and you still are going to dead draw land number 15, just play it and have a lot of massive onboard mana sinks like Tokasi's yep. Dig Site and Bonder's Ornament or the, the Scry tapped duels from Strixhaven. 
things that will you can just pour spare mana into those to make sure that you're not going to dead draw a second time in a row. Yeah, yep. I think that's excellent advice because you will you will have a lot of mana. You will hit a point where you don't need any more mana, but you keep drawing them or they're in your hand or what have you. <clears throat> so you got to find a way to use them. Don't you know? Don't fall in love with retrace. Don't all of a sudden have all of them in your deck. Because you won't be able to utilize all of them, but having one or two that synergize with your deck really well, help you out in the late game, that sort of thing, helps out quite a bit. That was a good call. Like, there's a reason that Mono yep. Black 60 card popper runs Raven's Crime, is because if you're playing Mono Black, you are going to flood out at some point, and being able to Raven's Crime your opponent four or five times in a row, that'll win you the game right there. I mean, granted, that's not going to happen in a pod, of, in a multiplayer pod, but that just shows you kind of like, how to utilize the late game effectiveness of your spell, of your graveyard, of your lands, the whole package. Is there anything you have to add for us, Liam, about um, other ways to avoid late game dead draws? No, uh, I I think what you mentioned in particular with uh, retrace, jumpstart, and looting effects are 100% way better than, than people give them credit for when you're running a bunch yeah, of lands. It feels so good to draw late game. discard two land cards to like thrill a possibility or, or one of those effects. Like I just wiped myself of this yeah, burden, and it feels great. I think my favorite one of these is uh, Electric Revelation. The artwork notwithstanding, mm-hmm. that woman is nuts. But uh, <laughs> as just as a card, like I, I think the, the huge reason this is my favorite is it's, it's just a thrill of possibility that costs one more mana. And I, I don't, I don't love the mana cost, but that it has flashback, like getting to use it twice is huge by itself. But like, the, I think one of the things about the flashback, a lot of people don't consider deeply enough, is that if you cast it and then flash it back, then it has transformed from card selection into card advantage. Yes. Like thrill, thrill of possibility mm-hmm. is not card advantage. No, you're, it's card you're selection. neutral. Yeah. It costs two cards, and it gives you two cards. Yep. Electric Revelation, if you cast it and then flash it back, costs three, gives you four. Right. It goes card positive if you do it twice, which is great. And if like you know, if the two cards you're pitching are ones you don't like, then the four cards that you draw are hopefully ones that you do like. I think Electric Revelation is an all-star. You know, and this kind of ties all back into what we were talking about earlier. If you have no choice but to discard lands to electric revelation or thrill a possibility or what have you but you've got that scare tiller on board mm. it's fine <laughs> you know it all works out mm. it all it comes out so in the wash good. as they say yeah exactly it's all about I, I don't know for me thinking about a mana base watching other people build mana bases or even just playing against a deck that has a good mana base it's all about getting the right Hmm, like sculpting it correctly, getting the right balance of like we've talked about tap lands, bounce lands, cycling, all this kind of crazy stuff. And I'm just, I'm not quite there yet. Like I'm at the point where I'm just, like I said earlier, I'm just, I'm going to jam 26 basics and nine to 10 utility lands. I don't know what they're going to be, but that's what my mana base is. And I just haven't got to the point where I'm fine tuning all of that yet, but we're getting there. We're getting close, but go ahead. Hopefully this episode helps. It absolutely does. Like, if I was just a listener of the show, this would have been a request. I, I would have hounded you guys until this episode came up, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Because I know, like, I, I build fairly terrible decks most of the time. I, ha- I have fun playing bad cards, bad decks. But I know, like, <laughs> in my uh, toolbox of Magic the Gathering player skills, building a mana base is probably the worst, the rustiest tool, the worst tool, the one, the one tool I don't know how to use. So it's a very good conversation, very informative. 
Delighted to be of service. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now that we've talked about all these lands, there are different ways you can uh, sort of put them together, aren't there, Dave? Uh, yeah. One of the one of the things I wanted to definitely mention as part of this episode was what I call the packages. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we've talked about the fetches. We've talked about, you know, the tapped duels. These are like categories. But um, if you're putting together a mana base, one of the things that can be very helpful is running just like finding an entire package of, you know, like eight, you know, five, six, seven, eight different cards and being like, I'm just going to toss this entire package in here as part of a, one big set and that'll be part of it. So the the really big, that's a, I feel like that's a good description of package, but the first package is the opposite of that thing I just said. <laughs> so uh, maybe I ordered these really poorly. I'm going to talk about it first anyway. Uh, okay. this, the, there's, there's a pseudo package, I'll call it, that I call, I think of as the default package. Mm-hmm. So um, these are just cards that are are so generically good as lands that I think that you should start by sort of like defaulting all of them into your deck until you find a good reason to not play with some of them and then you cut those ones yep so these are going to be your command towers if you're if you're multiplayer your deck should have a command tower it's just an untapped duel it's nuts uh path of ancestry is a tapped duel for any of your colors um opal palace is is crucial if your commander's getting killed just make it enormous Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that takasi's dig site and crystal grotto are powerhouse cards i feel like they not every single deck but like every single deck should either be running these or have a very convincing reason not to have them right and then uh you know the standard fetch is ewilds terramorphic uh not all the monocolor decks want ewilds and terramorphic but almost every dual color deck i can think of does want them mm-hmm. um so that's that is sort of what i start of start off with as like the default package of like i'm just going to put these lands in here and and then i'll cut the ones that i don't but i start with most of those yep same here and like with my specifically like you you said play these until you find a reason not to use them and my example would be like my cormella deck my 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 thievery Mm -hmm. deck whatever whatever you call it threatened tribal like i kind of realized that I don't know. I may cast Cormella once or twice during the whole game. I don't care if I cast her or not. Really, if I'm casting her, it's just because I have nothing better to do with my mana because I'm not going infinite or anything. So Opal Palace was one of the first ones I cut just for a, a better land because it's a three-color deck. So um, That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty easy stuff like that, but a lot of time for me anyway, I don't realize those synergies or dis-synergies, if that's a word, until I play the deck a few times and I'm like, oh... Now I see why it's not good, or now I see why it's good, that sort of thing. That's why it took me two or three games to realize Crystal Grotto's good, Tukasha's Dig Site's good, that sort of thing. Yeah, and like that's that's a great little like tangent that we should definitely emphasize here. Like an enormous part of this is iterative refinement. So we're giving you some guidelines, some suggestions, some heuristics. This is not algorithmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of us have like crunch the numbers done the math like none of us can tell you exactly what should and shouldn't be in your deck we're just giving you some ideas and like the goal is for you to play around with it and see what works yeah Um, every deck's different every player is different all that exactly every every play group is different like yeah every play group's different Mm -hmm. sometimes depending on who you're with you might want to change your mana base yeah yeah um so yeah, uh, that's that's what I think of as the default package. And that's uh, funny, I do too. Like when I first sit down to build a deck, 
or if I I theorize this deck that I'm going to build, I first sit down like I'm I'm reaching for my command tower for my path of ancestry <laughs> for my crystal grotto. Yeah. Like you're right, this is absolutely just the default package. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. And uh, it's this is again slightly different from the other packages. The other packages I'm going to mention are things that like if you want to run the package, you should run the complete package in its entirety because they will help each other out. Yeah. This is just like a collection of cards that you should have in your deck unless you have good reasons not to. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different. You, you should be cutting specific ones of these that don't match well. But the other packages, these are things that you should run the entire thing. Uh, the first one we need to talk about is, of course, naturally, the Scare-Tailer package. Of course. Uh, the Scare-Tailer package is uh, obviously Scare-Tailer. If you're in black and you're desperate, Demir House Guard to tutor for Scare-Tailer. <laughs> And then literally every fetch you can get your hands on. Yep. Uh, E-Wilds and Terramorphic. Uh, if if you're in a two-color deck that's ally-colored, like white and blue, my suggestion would be to run both of the SNC fetches that hit both of them. Mm -hmm. If your deck synergizes really strongly with Landfall and or Sacrificing, like my Yuri, Master of the Review deck, uh, I'll run all four SNC fetches. Okay. And uh, maybe if you're very into the Scare-Tiller package, you can also run the Panoramas, which Liam has said that he likes, mm -hmm. and I am on board with that. And if you're a psychopath, uh, <laughs> Terminal Moraine and Warp Landscape. Yep. <laughs> For all you psychopaths out there. Yep. Hello, <laughs> it's Liam. I am psychopath. I think, Beautiful. I think uh, I think Derek dropped a terminal moraine the other night. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out uh, terminal yeah, moraine sometimes. warped landscape. Was I run them in my so, so he was kind of a psychopath. I, I run them in my uh, my rune crab deck. <laughs> you should just you should just, just start cutting uh, basics for them. When I saw the terminal moraine downshift, I I instantly <laughs> cut a, a a basic island for it in my rune crab deck. You should mm. cut basics in all of it. Says the psychopath. Before we got the SNC fetches i ran those in my circara deck mm -hmm. because my my circara deck this is a deck that when mm -hmm. it when it functions you will regularly go through a solid 80 percent of your deck just by impulse drawing and nothing feels worse than impulse drawing like four lands For so sure. i went i went really hard on the deck thinning with land fetch thing and i think that it has worked it is to some extent mitigated that problem a little bit and like now, now that we have the snc fetches like the my my circara deck runs it's this is a mono red deck with e wilds terramorphic all three uh new capenna fetches that hit mountains and all three panoramas that hit mountains mm -hmm. and like in addition to that i felt that warp landscape was too much <laughs> <laughs> but i've got a solid eight fetches for my mono color deck which does not need fixing right and i feel pretty good about it right <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, that's the Scare Tiller package, and I want to hear what Liam thinks about the Scare Tiller package. I want to I want to hear what Liam wrote in the Scare show package notes about the Scare Tiller package. Running more decks. That's not what you wrote. Tell <laughs> us about Holdout Settlement. That's absolutely what I wrote. Uh, yeah. So uh, Scare Tiller package, good. You should run it in more decks. Um, yeah. So Al Alex done a good job so far of explaining uh, the Scare Tiller package, how it works, right? With yep. uh, Wilds and Terramorphic. SNC fetches, uh, panoramas, and the psychopathic lands. But how do you trigger Sketchella, right? Because Sketchella needs to be tapped. Sure. Naturally. The Sketchella package is really 
happens to be really good in decks that like to attack a lot because that is the easiest way to get a creature to tap is to attack land uh schedule is also a one four and on average the biggest things in the format tend to be two threes schedule bounces off of them pretty easily and yeah, you get then they land. know what it's capable of uh, and plus most people aren't looking to really kill a scatilla with a removal spell because most people don't tend to look at them unless you're in the pals meta in which case they know what a scatilla will do yeah and so the easiest way in my experience that i tend to trigger scatillas are with lands called holdout settlement and survivors encampment uh, mm-hmm. These lands enter the battlefield untapped. They tap for colorless, but they also have another ability where you can tap them, right. tap an untapped mm-hmm. creature, yep. and then create a color of mana, which is great that they tap for colors, but they also tap Skatillas really well. So you get your colored mana, you type a Skatilla, which gets you another land, and you're just happy. I will go yep. ahead and take this uh, point to mention that there are two mana rocks yep. that also yep. work really well with this, uh, with similar abilities. Network Terminal, which uh, has you tap an untapped artifact i believe to discard a card and then draw a card the rummage mm-hmm. and then and then spring leaf drum which yep. it you know is debatable if it's playable or not but you know I, some people like it some people yeah. don't and then down the line further I, I, we got uh, things yeah. like jasper a sentinel and you know creatures that tap other creatures that make mana that yeah. sort of thing exactly there's, exactly there's also um there's a new spring leaf as well but it's blue it's called moon snare prototype oh yep it does, it does the springly thing, but it also channels into a, an uncounterable removal spell, which yep. is kind of cool. Yeah, and I, I think the the fact that it channels is what makes it more playable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also blue, so you can't put it into other decks. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing I want to mention about the Skatilla package uh, outside of this is sacrifice lands in general. Uh, in particular, if you're being kind of non-aggressive with your Skatilla, you do... because. When you attack with things, they do tend to die in combat on occasion. Uh, if you tend to... Yes, Dave, I see it. I'm talking about it. Uh, I'm just playing with the if... cursor. Don't mind me. I'm not trying to get your attention. <laughs> if you uh, tend to be a little more reserved with your Skatilla, it sticks around for a lot longer than others. Or depending even what your deck wants to do, there are certain lands that give you uh, abilities when you sacrifice them. Uh, you've got Cave of Temptation, which can put two counters on a creature. You've got Haunted Fengraph, which can return a creature at random. Uh, you've got one of my personal favorites, uh, Cradle of the Accost, which makes a 2-2 Black Zombie creature token. These lands are all, generally speaking, pretty awful. But if you're looking for something to do with your mana, yeah. right, you can activate these lands, sacrifice them, and then get them back with yeah, Skatilla. Just keep doing it. And that that tends to be really good, you know, when the land gets you counters or gets you a token. Like, these are, these are spell effects, right? They might cost you a lot of mana. But yeah, it's, you know, good value. Yep. I completely agree. I don't think I could have said it better. So I plan yep. on, I plan on doing a lot of that here shortly once I add Scare Tiller to every deck. Yeah, I so. I I watched a guy once with the Scare Tiller in the Cave of Temptation plan and he like he, he got into that state where he was kind of dead drawing. Uh-huh. And he just goes, This is fine. I I will activate Cave of Temptation, <laughs> target Scare Tiller, I will attack you for three. Next turn, activate it. Attack, you, attack for you for five. Uh-huh. Next turn, activate it. Yeah. Attack and, you for seven. Yep. <laughs> and yeah. the thing is, you know, look looking back at the Capenna lands, not even just not even just the uh, fetches, but the towers, the 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 ones that you can sacrifice for four mana mm-hmm. draw card. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not saying four mana draw card is great, but if you've got nothing else to do with your mana, yeah, you know, yeah, that's fine. Might as yeah. well do it. 
uh, if you're if you're a true madman and you're running like the uh, depletion lands, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. by all yeah. means, that's up to you. But the other thing I'm looking forward to is adding some of the new sphere lands from all we won mm-hmm. into the sketch. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Sack to draw Those card. Are pretty spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Those I'm I'm like I'm low-key excited about those because i i like their ability but also they're going to make me like reconsider my whole tapped versus untapped balance for a bunch of tapped <laughs> monocolor lands yeah there is some play. tension there i like it oh yeah, yeah. they're it's gonna make me think unacceptable that is unacceptable watsy all right we have more packages yeah heck yeah we do i was just gonna say this next one is probably my if we were to rate these packages of lands, this one is probably my favorite. It's the Gates package. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. We talked about it earlier. It came to us from Commander's Legend, Baldur's Gate. And I love it because they're like the Thriving Lands. You drop them down. You pick whatever color you want for the other color. They have a static one, a single color. You pick the other one. That's fine. To me, these are one of the few types of lands that come as an absolute package with themselves. Like, it's very awkward for me when I, I have found decks that I have one gate in, like Manor Gate or whatever, and I'm like, this is the only gate in my deck. Why is this even in here? It just feels weird that the rest of them aren't in here. Like, to me, they just come as a single package all together, and I think they're great. I think they're probably the best. Mm, they're my favorite. They're my favorite ETB tap land, dual lands that we have. So I absolutely love them. Uh, and there's also three gates that are colorless, kind of go in everything. There's Basilisk Gate, Heap Gate, and Plaza Gate, which is a, a, a gate from, from back in the day. Gateway Plaza, sorry. It is, it is a gate, but it's Gateway Plaza. And similar to Scare Tiller and Fetch Lands, if you're going to run gates, play Navigation Orb. It is amazing. It'll get you those gates. If you if you got your whole package on board, but you're, you're having trouble drawing Basilisk Gate, it'll get it for you. And you can pump it up and kill somebody whatever you need to do they're, it's there they're very versatile very powerful and i don't know I, I don't really know what else to say about them other than i just i just love them so what do you think dave what do you think about the gates i i love the gates i uh, i think that they are very purposeful in their inclusion if you have a deck that wants to do voltron stuff and you want to you know hit that basilisk gate then they're they will get you the basilisk gate Yep. If you have a deck that wants to do treasures, you got your heap gate. Um, if you don't want either of those things, like you said, just don't run any gates. <laughs> it's, <Right>. <laughs> it's very easy to like include them if you want to do those things. It's very easy to just exclude the entire package right. if that's not your thing. And like, I I just I love that navigation orb will fix these things for you. It really will. Or, uh, mm-hmm. Expedition map is the other card. Like if you if you want to really go hard into the gates, like I've I've got a Kalane deck that does a lot of treasure stuff, and that deck desperately wants uh, Heap Gate online. Uh, so like that deck can run Expedition map very profitably. Yep. Yeah, and to, I like to that, get these gates on. I like that they are uh, synergistic too. Like yeah, like you were saying, if you're running the Voltron strategy, my um when I started put, putting together my uh, Sphinx of the Guild Pack deck. I went ahead and did like a five-color commander or five-color Voltron situation. And the gate package was the first thing I added to the deck. I picked the commander, and then I'm like, yep, I need Basilisk Gate. So that means I need all the gates. And I went from there. It was was awesome. With five colors, that Basilisk Gate can get out of hand. Yeah, yeah, it really can. Like a lot of times the Basilisk Gate is like just a plus two, plus two, or a plus three, plus three. Like in five colors, you can you can very easily turn Basilisk Gate into like a plus six, plus six. <laughs> yeah. And like if you 
if you want to lean into it, you can just be like, Voyaging Seder, I untap it. <laughs> like, let's do that again. Let's do it like, again. That was fun. Right. Yeah. So I like the gates because they are, they they can be very synergistic. And to me, that takes takes out some of the tension of what lands do I want, run? Do I run the gates? Do I run the thriving lands? Do I do this? Do I do that? Whereas some of the dual lands we have, like the snow duels, the dominaria duels, all that sort of thing. There's a lot of tension between those to me because they do go in so many decks. You know, it's like, well, which ones do I want? Do I care about these? Do I care about snow? Do I care about what they look like? Do I have foils? Blah, 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 blah. Like, but the gates really can go in any deck, but they they excel in a very few amount of decks, which which I like. I like that in the land option. For sure. So do we have more to add about gates or we want to talk about another package? I am gated out. So Yeah, we can move on. Okay. The last big package I want to talk about is the dual typed lands package. And these are there's actually we have two full cycles of this now. We have uh the the full cycle of all ten snow duels or mm-hmm. snools and uh we got we got another full cycle of all 10 dual typed uh common etb tapped lands and from dominaria united very recently mm-hmm. we mentioned these a little earlier when we were talking about just the ta- etb tapped duels and how like a lot of the times like you you have to choose which of these duels you're running very carefully because we're like oversaturated and you you definitely don't want all eight for any given color pair uh the reason that you want to run this package in particular is if you there's a, a whole collection of green cards that will do land fetch for ramp and a bunch of them instead of searching like you know if you're looking at ramp and growth it's a search for a basic land that's not going to help but if you're looking at farseek right Farseek doesn't force you to hit a basic. It just says, search your library for an island, plains, mountain, or swamp, and put it into play. So there's a bunch of these that will search for lands of specific types. And that means if you have this dual-typed package, you can fix your mana while also ramping. Yeah. So like Farseek, you can tap your forest and Farseek for a geothermal whatever the thing is uh oh yeah <sighs> geothermal bog bog that's the yep. one you can you can far seek for a geothermal bog which has you've spent green mana for the spell and now you're you've ramped this land into play and it's going to fix you for black and red right so i think this is especially powerful in like three or five color decks that are badly need a lot of fixing but also want to, to go fast and hit these ramp spells. So uh, we have Farseek, Nature's Lore, Ranger's Path, Sky Shroud Claim. Core Cartographer is the weird white one Yeah, <laughs> uh, that gets you a Plains. Yep. Uh, all the rest of these are green. Three visits, and if you're running the Snools specifically, you have Into the North, yep. which is a two-mana ramp spell that'll fetch you any snow land. So uh, I like this for its ramp and fixing potential, if that's a thing you need. This is a, a fantastic package to be running. Uh, yeah, there's a reason that like Farseek, Nature's Lore, Into the North, will, three visits will always be a few dollars. Like they're just good. And like the the thing that's kind of crazy about them is like a couple of these cards don't even ask you to put it into play tapped. Like right. Nature's Lore says get a forest it and put it into play. It doesn't say put it in tapped, 
which means it gives you options. Like if you just want to ramp and have an untapped forest, like if you're trying to ramp and then have have your green mana up for your snakeskin veil or your Tamiyo safekeeping, you can just get a forest and leave it untapped. If you don't need that mana immediately, then you can ramp into the, you know, green blue dual land and then you're fixed. Yep. So, a lot of versatility in these cards. Yeah. And it's it's not something that's super obvious, you know, if you're new to the format, new to Popper, that sort of thing. Like, excuse me, we got to work a little harder for our dual lands, but these make it extremely um, much more accessible. Anything anything to add about the dual types, Liam? No, I think we've uh, covered the dual types pretty, pretty sufficiently. Uh, they are strong in decks that can take advantage of the dual types. Otherwise, they're just tap lands. Yeah, pretty much play them if you need them. If you've got, if you need the ramp, make some room for it. And there you go. Here's the thing that if I don't speak these words on the podcast, Crash and Mentir are going to come for me. Oh, don't don't uh, let that happen. <laughs> if you need your island count high for Mystic Sanctuary. Mm, there you go. Okay, that's I've good, said the words. I have said the words Mystic Sanctuary. I'm safe. <laughs> we, the, the words Mystic Sanctuary were uttered in our podcast about mana bases. Yep. I am no longer in danger. Your kneecaps are safe. We're good. No, no, you, mentioned, you, mentioned, you mentioned Amalia. You're okay. Mystic Sanctuary? Oh, I yeah. don't, I don't okay. remember that. Well, just in case. Yeah, when we were talk we we were talking about the duels earlier, and you said, yeah, you know, it's good to we, you were going to like Farseek and three visits, and then you said, oh yeah, and if you need to get basics up for Mystic Sanctuary, and then you moved on. Oh, yeah, maybe okay, maybe now I've said it twice, and I'm extra. Because yeah, I wouldn't have, I I wouldn't have let you yeah I wouldn't have let you get through that section <laughs> well, without see, mentioning now, okay. Mystic now Sanctuary. both your kneecaps are safe, not just one of them. Man, the, the first half of this podcast was like two hours ago. I remember nothing. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I was like, that was like basically 2022. Yeah. I've blocked it from my mind. That was a whole conversation ago. That was like yeah. two magic sets ago. <laughs> <laughs> basically. Yeah, basically. So I don't know. I think that kind of wraps up our land of talk. I know it was very generic, not generic, but very like mile high view and that's that's kind of what we were going for like i didn't want to do an episode where it was uh well when you break down the you know your mana values and your land count and blah 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 blah, blah. like you can do that on your own yeah i figure uh, out that sort of thing from my decks just by playing yeah episodes. and enough people do those episodes so and there's a million different probably video and written content articles on online that you can read about those sort of things we just sort of wanted to toss touch over Popper Commander, its mana bases, its potentials, its packages, that sort of thing. So we hope you found it useful. I know I know I did. So I I found it really useful and now I really want to do a follow up on ramp. I think we should. I think you have to. They they kind of go hand in I hand. Think we have to. Yeah. Yeah. Like ramp, I think we should well, conv- go ahead. Con- conveniently. <laughs> Three weeks from now. Perfect. <laughs> the ramp episode. We're so good at this podcasting thing. I know. We're getting to be professionals. <laughs> yeah, we're we're at a third of a hundred. A third of a hundred. That is absolutely Look right. That. Look at that. We've almost we're at a third of Yeah, you're right. I was gonna try to make a joke, but I couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> so that will get edited out. Look at me. That's what professionals do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it does look like we have a listener question this week. What do we got, Liam? Yeah. Uh, so the listener question is from Finthorn a pat- Brownie. A patron also. He says, w- a, a, a patron. Yeah. 
Uh, and this question says, what does PDH need in 2023 to continue to thrive as a format? Dave, what does PDH need to continue to thrive? Uh, more visibility, I think. Like in terms of in terms of th- in terms of what Wizards is giving us, I think that we are all set. Mm-hmm. We had such an absolute catastrophic deluge of new commons, new commanders last year. Like, I don't want to ask for anything from Wizards because I'm afraid that we'll get eight times as much as we need, like, and I'll just regret everything. Piggybacking on that, I I don't want another Baldur's Gate in 2023. Like I don't know if the format could handle right. it, honestly. No, I, like I, I want another, I want, I want another Baldur's Gate in twenty twenty eight. Sure, perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> That'll yeah. give us time to explore everything. Until then, until then, one cycle of lands a year is perfectly okay. Right, right. Like, yeah, I think we're just oversaturated with some of these things. Um, but I, I would like, you know, I would be excited if like famous people started talking about us <laughs> like yeah not not much but like yeah i could i could use a little more uh more exposure yeah a little more exposure self-assurance vindication that sort of thing yeah, yeah. although in, in fairness uh pdh has um th- this is something that we talked about very briefly in the we did um clay and myself and derek and scarecrow did like a a fireside chat where we just all got on a zoom call and like hung out for a couple hours and mm-hmm. and asked questions. And this came up there a lot. And uh, Scarecrow, Scarecrow bought the numbers. He did the math and he was, he was telling us about, you know, if you look at the, the growth that we have experienced as a format based on a couple different metrics, it has been very steady, very, you know, it's not explosive growth, but it is steady, sustained continual growth over like a decade that's beautiful so i think that's exactly what you it, want it's beautiful and like honestly like i, I part of part of Fintorn brownie's question makes me feel like he's asking what what should we change and like i think my honest answer is nothing like i think we're i think we're good <laughs> i think that's an honest answer i think it's a very good answer like anything that anyone could suggest like I don't know how to answer it any different than you did. Like anything, anything that could be suggested runs the risk of pushing it over the top. If that makes sense, pushing it too yeah. far, too fast, you know, inflating the balloon too fast or whatever that, that metaphor is simile is. So yeah, I think just constant positive community members, which we have, it's very rare. If ever at all, I run into a negative PDH pop commander community member. Um, just keep talking about the format, playing the format, ex- you know, exposing the format to different content, content creators, MTG celebrities, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Dave. That, that was a good answer. I think for the format to thrive, we have to, as, as a community of, as, and players of the format, we have to help it thrive. Like, it's by no means stable. It's by no means like in the public eye. It's just sort of right there in the middle, and we just got to do our best to to keep it on the um, on the incline, on the ascension. What do you think, Liam? Do you want more legendaries at Uncommon yeah, to thrive? Uh, look, I'm I am off that horse. Okay, <laughs> you have successfully knocked me off of that horse. I don't know. I I feel like I feel like I don't know what I want. Uh, well, well, what what the format needs? I I I'm not. Yeah, that's a that, good question. 
It's a really good question. I, I don't want to say that I'm not that in tune, but I'm not I'm not that person. That's Scarecrow. Sure. That's definitely Scarecrow and, and his his you know yeah. specialty. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I'm gonna agree with Dave on this in that like more magic famous people talking about the format in general, pointing to the existing resources rather than trying to create their own. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. To grow to grow what's already existing. Yeah, I think it would be very bad is... for the format if whoever gigantic MTG celebrity is rushes to the format and brings all their fans and then plays it for a week and then leaves and takes all their fans with them. I think that would be worse for the format than if they never showed up to begin with. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, we got to make it a place where if these people well-known celebrities if you will if they show up to the format we got to make it welcoming and understandable and and um something they want to stick around and keep doing basically yeah yep i feel like part of my answer originally was like i wouldn't mind if a celebrity hung out with us but now 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 i'm thinking about it more i'm like "Ah, (laughs) maybe a small celebrity yeah whatever whatever whoever whoever plugs us whoever comes to hang out with us and and like you know has a good time yeah i whatever whatever we can do to make sure that that is sustained continual growth mm-hmm. yeah we don't want to i think that's we don't want the podcast we don't want other pdh content creators we don't want the format to like fizzle out or burn too bright that sort of thing so just keep growing good question though excellent question yeah, yeah. i like the the use of the word continue because that makes me feel like it is currently thriving i think that it is i I think it is too. I mean, I'm pretty immersed in the format, you know, as of late, obviously. Um, so I may not be seeing the forest as a whole, but uh, I think it is. I think it's good. I see more people talking about it. I don't know if it's just the the social media algorithms pointing me towards those posts and those comments, but I am seeing more people talk about it like almost on a daily basis. Like at least once a day, I see someone that I've never seen before or I don't follow or doesn't follow me mention the format in one way or another we love to see very it. rarely in a negative sense yep absolutely love to see it and uh fine torn brownie's a big part of that yeah he's a uh, he puts in work he really <laughs> does like it's yeah. very subtle it's very quiet but it's there like it's profound good job on that Whew. all right well do we get anything else uh either of you want to men- mention before we wrap it up for the week i'm spent no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I am spent too. Let's let's get on out of here. But we got a few more things before we get out of here for the week. If you need more Popper Commander talk or have any questions about the format, you can always email the show at thepdhpod at gmail.com. You can head on over to the PDH Home Base's website. That'll take you right to their Discord server. Uh, you can find Liam and I on Twitter at Popper Command and Popper underscore B, respectively. And as always, you can find Dave as Alcadron just about anywhere else. PDH is being talked about. All the links, social media links, email, all that good stuff will be down in the uh, show description below and as episode 33 of the pdh pod comes to a close we want to give a big thanks to mtg brad for letting us use their original music for the show and from everyone in here to everyone out there brew a deck scare those tillers and we'll see you in about a week peace cheers see ya